Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, another Monday Madness. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com along with Doug Lee Maurice. I got back from Indiana about 6 p.m. this evening. Doug got back about 6 a.m. this morning, driving through the night through the to night. go pumpkin patching, right? No, you went to the, you went to the zoo. Well, we were going to go pumpkin patching also because we don't have pumpkins yet, but it rained all day. So oh, yeah. we just went to the zoo and uh, we had a lovely day, though, a lovely family day. So, yeah, I thought it was worth it just to get home. So nice, nice full 17-hour day yesterday, but it was worth it. Yes. I have not had a chance to rewatch the game, uh, Ohio State's 50, sorry, 54-7 to victory over Indiana, but I know you have. So I want to start there. Any second impressions that you thought reinforced things that we saw live or that you know bore further scrutiny as we look ahead coming out of that game? So uh, a couple things. Um, reinforcement, again, offensively for Ohio State, how they just put the squeeze on defenses. It's just an accordion action of if you put an extra guy in the box, they throw. And if you try to spread out and cover their receivers, they run on you. And the they block really well which is like the which is an obvious thing but like on on Trayvon Henderson's or yeah or Ryan Williams I don't know the first touchdown run you know Jackson Smith the jigba gets a great crack back block My, I know Landis was the first touchdown Ryan Williams I know Landis just tweeted about it but I thought it too Landis I just I'm not stealing your thing we all saw it. So just like a great, just like, hey, it's Jackson Smith the Jigba, who's awesome, and just takes like a, a linebacker out of the play to help clear the hole there. And then on the screen to Trayvon Henderson for the third touchdown, I think, there's, there's just this situation. It's like they try to put, I think, like extra guys in the box. It's just I almost feel bad for defenses. Because they're trying to do one thing, and then Ohio State does the other. So they try to do the other, and Ohio State does the third thing. They have guys there, but Ohio State throws a screen in the red zone to Trevion Henderson. And Paris Johnson, Thayer Munford, and Luke Whipler are all out in front of it. And there's almost too many blockers. So Thayer Munford gets a guy. Luke Whipler gets a guy. And again, I think I texted this during the game. I don't know if I talked about it after the postgame. But then, like, Jeremy Ruckert goes straight to Indiana's best defender, Micah McFadden, and just locks him up. And there's – I just don't know what a defense would do there. Because when people make the blocks that in the play design they're supposed to make, and you have a talented guy with the ball in his hands, like, that's happening 
almost every play for Ohio State. Because we know the guy with the ball in his hands is talented and is going to make a guy miss or speed past a guy or break a tackle on his own. But it is a reminder of how often this offensive line and these tight ends and these receivers make the exact block they're supposed to make. And so then the rest of it is then if you try, again, you try to get in the box, put an extra guy in there, you wind up with, you have to have a one-on-one somewhere on one of these receivers. So this is what happened like on the Garrett Wilson back shoulder on the sideline on, on like, I think was the catch maybe right before the first touchdown. Right after he dropped one. Right after he dropped one. You just, you can't double cover everybody. And then we saw it again in the Enzo with Chris Olave. If you give, especially Olave and Wilson, because they're so veteran, they just, they have such great body control and they play a ball in the air. Almost any corner, they're going to win that ball, whether it's a back shoulder, whether it's not that it's a 50 50 ball, but it's like you've got to shield a guy off and make a play. But if you try to drop two safeties and drop eight in coverage, then they run it. And it is, I, I just, I don't know. It's why I was, I was so enthused about the Ohio State offense after the game and talked about Ohio State offense versus Georgia defense. Rewatching it again, I don't know what you do. And then the, the last piece of that was there was a play where Indiana tried to have an extra guy in the box. So Ohio State threw. But as soon as they saw the throw, all the linebackers dropped. They just dropped off the screen to try to clog stuff up. And then C.J. Stroud ran. And it was like, oh, okay, you're in the box. We're going to throw. Oh, wait, now everyone all of a sudden immediately off the snap is dropping in coverage. Now I'm going to scramble for nine yards. And I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. You have to get – I mean, it's just the same thing. It's like you have to have like a 2019 Ohio State defense – you have to get pressure with four because if you, if you get in a situation where you're trying to blitz, I think you're burned or you just have to take some risks and blitz and really, really believe in your cover guys that they are going to prevent Olave and Wilson from winning some of those one-on-one matchups with the ball in the air. But I just, it's just a hard combination. And the more you watch it, and, and by the way, I just like the, the whole thing about Indiana not being able to blitz and that kind of thing and maybe not wanting to take chances. Like that first drive, Nathan, the tempo, they don't even give – like Indiana's not even set half the time. Right. Indiana's trying to give different looks. They're so good with the tempo when they want it that you don't even give a defense a moment to even try to understand what they might want to do. Even if they had a plan, oh, we'll do this, we'll do this. It's like sometimes they can barely get lined up. So really, I just think Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud together have defenses on a string right now. And yes, Indiana was, was down, guys. But even when the talent is better on the defense, and they will see more talented defenses, the scheme and what they're doing with their play calling and then C.J. Stroud's ability to almost execute every part of it at this point, I, even very talented defenses, I, I could see how they'll have them on a string. I do think, though, your point about the, the risk-reward there is fair. But the whole point of blitzing is that you're, you're helping those cover guys because now the quarterback has to react, has less time to make the read, to see the guy. It, it, clearly, sometimes they're going to burn you, but you're, the whole equation is that one, at least some of the time, you're going to 
he's not going to see the guy who was open because of the blitz, right? So I just feel like you're they're going to teams are going to have to take more chances. I understand why Indiana probably prudently thought that it couldn't. Like as bad as it was, like imagine how much worse it would have been if they literally were taking a coverage guy off of the back yeah. seven every time and bringing him to a in a futile attempt to get to because most of the time it probably would be. So I, I understand maybe why Indiana didn't, but I think they're going to be next time they play a more uh, healthy defense that I would imagine teams will try that. I almost think though, like and then and then there are the the other thing you're talking about. We're getting the front four pressure. The two best defensive ends other than the one they didn't play, Thibodeau, that they are going to play are still ahead on the schedule in Karloftis and Hutchinson. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by both of those matchups and how even just one guy up front that's that good can change the game a little bit. There's, there's something else, again, because I didn't watch the game. Uh, yeah, I haven't rewatched yet. So there's something I said to you during the game was like, this offense right now is operating with uh, – just no um with complete margin for error like there's no there it seems like there's almost no stakes like because of no no we almost need an opponent to step up and challenge Ohio State offensively to see how Ohio State's offense will also respond to that because early this season I feel like Oregon got Ohio State at the perfect time because if you were scoring against Ohio State back then CJ Stroud mentally was not the CJ Stroud who's out there on the field right now and you could shake him a little bit by forcing him to have to go score. Well, right now, I mean, they, they had 19 in a row other than a kneel down that was finally broken once everybody tweeted that there was 19 in a row. But until then, like, it, it didn't matter if he didn't score on one play because you're still going to win that game by 45 or whatever. So I'm intrigued by that, too. Like, if a team comes out and gets 14 points in the first quarter, how does Ohio State respond? And I think the answer is they'll respond fine now. Because I think there was just something that was missing for C.J. Stroud at that point, not of anyone's fault, even his, or his own. It's just that it, it, he hadn't gone through some battles yet, and now he has, and now he's battle-tested, as they say. And I think you're seeing he just attacks the game with a different confidence. I, I'm, I think he would probably respond to that challenge pretty well. Yeah, no, we talked about it. I mean, he certainly was not taking throws in the middle of the field like he is now. He also didn't have the same dynamic run game that he has now because Trevion Henderson was not the number one back at that point, which makes a huge difference. But, um, you know, there was another moment. Again, it's, you know, Indiana tried to vary some stuff. They did a little bit, right? It's like you have four down linemen, and then you drop one of the down linemen and blitz a linebacker in his spot. And, you know, people do that all the time. They had a play, I think it was right after the run, like on a, maybe I can't, I get confused. You get lost. You watch this Ohio State offense, just kind of keep it all straight because they just score so often and put up so many yards. There was definitely a play where they dropped eight in coverage and like, all right, we're going to try to cover again. And Ohio State leaked Jeremy Ruckert and Travion Henderson out. And they almost looked like they were going to run mesh, like five yards from the line of scrimmage right in the middle of the field. But they sort of just both stopped and turned around. I think it was on a second and one. And C.J. Stroud could have had either of them for an easy five-yard first down because they literally were standing next to each other and there was no defenders within six yards of them. Because the eight guys who dropped had dropped so deep. So they only rushed three against five. Ohio State has Ruckert and Henderson right there wide open for five yards at least whenever C.J. Stroud wants it. So there's three receivers in the route with eight Indiana guys in coverage because they're not really covering Ruckert and Henderson, and they only rush three. So it's eight 
against three. And C.J. Stroud hits Garrett Wilson for like a 15-yard comeback without breaking a sweat. Like he's, it's like he, he had to go down to get it. You know, it wasn't catch and run, but it was easy. And it was three on eight. And Garrett Wilson still was wide open. And so it's like, okay, well, congratulations on dropping eight to cover these three receivers. It, it did nothing. It made no difference. So why bl- then blitz? Because yeah. you got a bunch of guys on the back end who were just standing around not able to, to do anything in coverage, at least make him move his feet a little bit, get after the quarterback. So I do think that's a lesson that other defenses are going to take away from this. And I think we talked about that on the post game, but like you just, you just have to take the risk because you just, that was just an example of like, what are you trying? What are you trying to do in coverage? Cause it's not working. Cause there's a 15 yard gain to Garrett Wilson that CJ Stroud made the throw with ease. So that's what I thought offensively also have some defensive thoughts. It was what Indiana did last year when they had a more healthy, complete defense. And I remember I went back and listened again to those interviews. Josh Myers talking about, hey, when they bring more guys than we have to block with, somebody's getting through. Like, what are you going to do? Even that good of an offensive line. But, again, it still wasn't good enough. Ohio State still wins that game. So, And, and this is trending towards being an even more powerful offense as we thought it might be. So, um, I, I will we- say this very quickly, very quickly. And I don't. I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud is better than Justin Fields because Justin Fields was extraordinary and he was a second-year guy last year. And right now, Justin Fields in the NFL has no protection. They literally, like the Bears, don't even have five functional offensive linemen. So he can't even try to play quarterback. But the ongoing, always, never-ending discussion about Justin Fields holding the ball to try to make a play, right? I think you see a little bit of that in the NFL. I, I'm not blaming him for it, right? And he also, 70% of the time when he's getting sacked, he doesn't even have time to blink before a guy's in his face. But Justin wants to do that. CJ does not, is not, this, this confident seeing the field, CJ, just the style of quarterback he is, because he is not nearly as dangerous as Justin running the ball. And they're not, I mean, defenses are taking it away, but they're not taking as many shots down the field. I think sometimes in those situations last year, if you brought more than the offensive line could block, you maybe had a shot because Justin might think, well, I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm going to spin away from a guy and then hit a big play, right? Which I love in Justin Fields. I don't think CJ thinks that way. So even in situations where, you're bringing more than they can block. I just think CJ might be like, okay, cool. Boom. JS said, well, take it. Yeah. You know, and cool. that, that's against certain blitz packages. That might be a more effective answer than the extreme playmaking ability that Justin feels that he was always trying to dig into. Or, or I'm just throwing it away, especially in the first like three quarters of a game. If even if it's yeah. close, because I, okay, we'll punt and then I'll get another possession with these same three receivers and Trevion Henderson. Like, I think that's the equation, and I can't really say that I disagree with that math. Uh, again, there will be a point. At some point, there will be a time when that presents itself in the fourth quarter with urgency. But I don't know how soon that's going to happen. I mean, we saw it a little bit in the beginning of the game last night. I feel like they could throw the ball to Jeremy Ruckett for seven yards on every play. If they, if they said – Tonight, we want Jeremy Ruckert to have 30 catches for 210 yards. I think they could do it 
without and without problem because Jeremy Ruckert is a blocking threat, so you have to take that into account. Little RPO stuff. He's going to catch it if you throw it to him. He leaks out. He's in the flat. Boom, he'll turn up field and make a gain. But you're always, even if they, on, even on the 31st snap, if they would open a game with 30 passes to Jeremy Ruckert, on the 31st snap, you'd still be worried about Chris Olave. So it's not like you couldn't triple team the tight end. So when that's like, when those are the five skill guys that you have on the field, Trevion Henderson, those three receivers, and Jeremy Ruckert, I just feel like, right, I guess a blitz look, if you're getting blitzed all the time, it's like, well, like that's always there, right? And that's a pretty effective way to move the ball. And we saw them use the tight ends a little bit more against Indiana they had in some other games. What did you see on the defensive side of the ball? So I thought, so on the, on the, the first series when they let Indiana march down for 15-play touchdown drive, they did not sub in the back seven. I think they, they rotated the defensive linemen because they always rotate the defensive linemen, but they kept the same guys on the field. And that was Bryson Shaw and Ronnie Hickman, the safeties, basically. Um, Seven Banks and Denzel Burke at outside corner, Marcus Williamson at cover safety, and Cody Simon and Taraji Mitchell at linebacker. Indiana converted, I think, three third downs on there. They didn't go to any, they didn't put Steel Chambers in, they didn't put an extra DB in on any third, three third downs. Four third downs. Four third downs. They didn't do anything different. They, they weren't third and super longs, but I think there were some third and sevens maybe in there, right? They didn't sub, and they went right down the field on them. And there were a couple conversions where it was like they hit him a couple times where, I mean, you know, it's just like, well, like maybe the linebackers were a half step slow to the play, right? Or, oh, man, they got a block on the linebacker and they got free or they, got, they blocked the cover safety and that's how they did it. Then the second series – they started altering the looks a little bit. And that's when we saw Steel Chambers come in, not just on third, but on second down. That's when we started to see the Craig Young wrinkle. And it almost makes me think, it makes me want to go back and watch all these, these several games where they've given up a touchdown drive in the first. Are they just gathering info? Are they like, we'll give you this one? It's like recon. Yeah. It's like CSI OSUD. Like, they're just like, not that we're literally trying to give up a touchdown, but we're going to give you our base stuff, see what's up, and then decide what to do next. Because, and not all of a sudden, but that I think Steel Chambers was in, instead of Taraji Mitchell, like the next three series. And Craig Young... He was in there on first down. Craig Young started coming in. Lathan Ransom, by the way, Lathan Ransom, back to cover safety. Yeah. Lathan Ransom not really playing deep safety again yesterday. It was like Marcus Williams start, started at cover safety. Lathan Ransom was behind him, was on like, was in like the second and third series. And then when they had like third, like their dime look, right? When they're like third and 16, at least, you know, they had Lathan Ransom and Cam Martinez in, plus the two outside corners with that one linebacker when they go four wide. But Cam Martinez only played six snaps again. I, it's just fascinating. All in on Cam Martinez. We were all in on Cam Martinez, and, like, he doesn't play anymore. But Lathan Ransom, Bryson Shaw led the team in snaps yesterday. Deep safety. He's, like, the guy at deep safety still. But I just counted up – I looked at the PFF snaps. And, yes, it was a blowout, right? So, yes, they were trying some stuff. But I think a lot of this was real. Also, by the way, yesterday, three-man rotation at outside corner because – they had Banks and Brown out there together at times. It was not Burke all the time. The snaps for the outside corners, seven Banks, 38, Cam Brown, 28, Denzel Burke, 25. 
Now, if they were in a four-quarter game, Denzel Burke would lead. But are, we, are, are they moving toward three-man rotation at outside corner, making sure Denzel Burke as a true freshman doesn't wear down? Slot, Marcus Williamson, 25, Lathan Ransom, 23, Cam Martinez, 6. Like, okay, Lathan Ransom's there now. I don't know. Like, Bryson Shaw, is he going to take every snap at deep safety? I don't know. Linebackers, Cody Simon, 27, Traja Mitchell, 26, Steel Chambers, 22, Tommy Eichenberg, 19. Are we getting closer? There was definitely, like, like the third series was Chambers and Eichenberg, right, when it was still a game. Bullet. We, we talked about Court Williams postgame. It was time for Court Williams got a little run. Ronnie Hickman, 30, Court Williams, 26, and then Craig Young in the Craig Young role, 10. And then, by the way, I'm going to cough. Hold on. I professionally muted that cough so you didn't hear it. These were the defensive tackle snaps. Again, it's a blowout. These were the defensive tackle snaps. Haskell Garrett, 20. Cage, 18. Vincent, 17. Ty Hamilton, 16. Tyleek Williams, 15. Antoine Jackson, 14. They had six defensive tackles between 20 and 14 snaps. And if you ask me right now, rank the defensive tackles in order of how good they are, I do not know what I would say. Because I watched a play where Ty Hamilton, who I don't know, I maybe you would say is sixth, destroyed the center, hand-fought him to death, and sacked the quarterback. He even got a little bit of a double team. And that's like, it's like, is Ty Hamilton their sixth defensive tackle? And he just destroyed a Big Ten starting center. And then defensive ends, Tyreek Smith back, right? Harrison, 28. John Baptiste, 25. Smith, 20. Sawyer, 15. JT, 12. All the stuff we talked about beginning of the year, like, could they please figure out who to play? Are they just a 30-deep defense now? Because it's not, like, yes, that was a blowout, Nathan, but I just named 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 guys that all, to me, feel like legitimate defensive guys, right? I mean, you can play Antoine Jackson. You can play Craig Young. You can play Jack Sawyer. You can play, like, that's not, that's not like, blowout depth. That's actual depth. And are we back to the point where, no, yeah, the best thing for this defense is to play 25 dudes? I think what is still happening right now is still a – period and I know we're halfway more than halfway through the season now but I think there's still evaluation and growth happening and I would imagine in a hypothetical national championship game against Georgia that they're not playing 25 guys but let's remember like 12 of those guys 11 12 of those guys are defensive line guys and that though they all will play like that rotation those those guys will all play something fairly substantive minutes or snaps so that's half of the list right there and then you start talking about some specialist guys a little bit in the secondary too, right? So if you got a, a dime package, Cam Martinez is going to have to play. So there's, so I think it's 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 not going to be 25, but it'll be up there. The one thing I do wonder is if I think I'm still waiting to see what linebacker looks like on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And again, we talked like I'll tell you what, Steel Chambers attacks like no other linebacker they have. He just does. He's downhill more than the other linebackers. So I don't know if that's always right. And we've had this discussion multiple times now. He is downhill more than other linebackers. 
And it's just a fact. He had a play where he blew up a play in the backfield and like sort of tackled the running back with one arm. And I don't think another linebacker on this team makes that play. So I don't, I don't know. Now, the other thing is the end of that drive. So that first drive, they gave up four third down conversions. They kept the same guys on the field. And we noted it at the time. You texted it at the time. Everybody saw it. Cody Simon and Ronnie Hickman kind of got confused. And Cody Simon let the, the tight end leak out into the end zone for the touchdown catch. And it was trips left. They had the three corners on that side. Then they had the tight end and the running back and Hickman and Simon were trying to decide before the play, like who's got the running back and who's got the tight end. It wasn't tricky. And it was, it's game seven. And like the bullet and the outside linebacker, like didn't exactly figure out who had who and the tight end wound wound up wide open in the back of the end zone. So like, that wasn't great, but that was it. Right. But like the end of that drive, but, but so that's like, you know, uh, there's a little bit of that. It's like, well, that, that shouldn't be happening in week seven because that wasn't particularly – it wasn't some wild formation from Indiana. But that was the only time it happened. And as we noted, then Jack Tuttle got hurt. And well, they didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. That You're right. It's the only time it happened because pretty soon it was slim pickings back there. And I, I think the worst thing that happened for Ohio State was Tuttle getting hurt. Like, I, they were going to win this game anyway. I'm I'm pretty confident to say. Like I think they needed Jack Tuttle to play the rest of this game. Like they they or you know what I mean? Like they 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 needed that they needed that same situation to come up again in a threatening way yeah. and to solve it. And yep. now they just get to now they're going to talk about it in film, I'm sure. In fact, they'll probably talk about it a lot in film because like you say there's not a lot else necessarily to talk about from a critique standpoint, but I think they need those moments. I'm you know, I'm I'll, I'll keep harping on that just because that's you know they talk about iron sharpens iron that's like their big cliche and they talk about it in terms of practice but I think it it also applies to games and it was iron on like construction paper for a lot of that game the other night and so there's probably value that they get out and I'm sure there is but I think more value will come when they have to like truly beat somebody good and we'll talk about whether or not that's going to be Penn State when we come back from this break. Did you have something else you wanted to add? To finish no, that no, no, it's, it's fine. No, it's fine. After a while, you know, you kind of you have a a, a rapport among podcasters. You 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 see them like kind of. I'm good. No, why? Well, you know, you're leaning into it, shoulder leaning into it, and then we back. don't need to do three hours on uh, Monday Madness, so we have right. plenty of time to talk about the defense. Now for the Monday Madness segments, we're going to start off with story of the week: Ohio State playing Penn State. This was supposed to be a top ten matchup. Penn State was ranked number seven, had a home game against Illinois, who doesn't beat much of anybody as you've all been uh, paying attention to now over the past, you know, 10, 20 uh, or so years in college football. And they lose in just one of the more ridiculous games that you're going to see 20 to 18 and nine overtimes, Uh, a nine overtime game that hit the under (laughs) for all the betters out there. I saw a lot of talk about that on Twitter. Um, I, but the way I wanted to kind of steer this was, when we did our tiers of college football, we had Clemson and Alabama in a tier of their own. This has been this is removed. So before Clemson had its issues this year, Alabama, Clemson tier of their own, Ohio State all alone in tier two, and then Penn State was one of the teams that we had in tier three. That like simmering 
just below that like perennial playoff level, always a threat to jump up and be a national power. But I think the caveat kind of was last year was a blip, weird year, lots of stuff went wrong. This is their year to maybe make a move. Maybe Ohio State's more vulnerable. That seems kind of laughable at the way things are going right now. Maybe they can make their – this could be the year that they shoot up and, 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 and stick into that top group. And now I'm starting to think that this week could be almost kind of the nail in the coffin a little bit, that this might be kind of sending James Franklin on his way. He's obviously been rumored – he's rumored for every job that comes open that's, of, of, that's any good. But heavily rumored to maybe be going to USC. We'll see how that turns out. But it, it, I'm starting to think that change is inevitable here. Well, so every most people listening to this podcast know that that David Jones and Bob Flounders at PennLive.com, the Penn State writers for our sister company, there are my mentors in the journalism world. There's uh, uh, as good as it gets covering a college football team. And Dave Jones wrote this, you know, in his postgame uh, column where he was asking whether that loss to Illinois was the worst loss in, in Penn State history. And then in Dave Jones fashion, he wrote that after the game. And then he followed up Sunday with, here are all the candidates. And he listed like <laughs> the 10 games because he didn't just throw it out there. He then came back and was like, okay, well, how about this Joe Paterno loss in 1968, right? Because that's yeah. the kind of writer he is. So. What makes it more likely for James Franklin to leave? James Franklin being good or James Franklin being bad? Because Dave contended yeah, yeah. that, like, this might have kept James Franklin at Penn State. Because if you're USC, are you like that guy? The 9 OT lost to Illinois, that will play in Hollywood, baby. Like, <laughs> did he just take himself out of the running? For the USC job. So I don't know that anybody has a read on that because they're not going to fire him. No. They're not. And they shouldn't fire him. They might decide together you should go. Or he might just leave. But they're not going to fire him. Because they're pinched. They are pinched. And they're in a weird spot. I do. I was their recruiting class for 2022 still right now as it stands, is ranked slightly ahead of Ohio State, in part because Quinn Ewers moved up a year, in part because Penn State has more guys. But I think it's possible that they have a guy named Danny Dennis Sutton, who's the number 46 player in the country as offensive lineman. I think he would start for them right now because they just lost P.J. Mustafer, who's their best defensive tackle, and they could not stop the run at all against Illinois. They got rolled. I think their number one recruit would play on their defensive line right now. They can't run the ball. They don't have any running backs. And, like, their best running back got hurt in the second quarter against Illinois. They have Nicholas Singleton, number 55 player in the country at running back, who's a guy that Ohio State looked at a little bit. I think he would start for them right now. Okay? So that's, then they have Drew Aller from Medina, the number 74 player in the country, who is, throws for 500 yards every week. If Quinn Ewers – and that Rutgers kid can skip high school and come to college. Can they get Drew Aller eligible this week? He would be their best quarterback. And that is as, as uh, this is from, I'm shouting this from, from Quinn Ewers buoy on hyperbole Island. That is not hyperbole. Drew Aller is better than their second and third string quarterbacks and their number one quarterback, Sean Clifford never should have played. Like, they all know that. 
Yeah. He had a flak jacket on. He has some kind of rib injury from getting hit against Iowa. He couldn't throw and he couldn't run. But their backup quarterbacks were so bad, they played him the whole game anyway. Even when it became very clear, he could neither throw nor run. So that's where they are. So, like, that doesn't excuse anything. But I will say, Nathan, it is one of these things where there but for the grace of God go another football team. It's hard to get your starting quarterback hurt. And as we've said, if Justin Fields had gotten hurt, had gotten hit in the ribs in 2019 and Ohio State was still trying to be good, a lot of people might have been saying like, man, this Ryan Day guy, I don't know, because Ohio State did not have anybody really backing up Justin Fields and Penn State did not have anybody backing up Sean Clifford. It happened. We saw it happen. It happened on the field against Penn State. It happened against Michigan. If that knee turns, well, like a quarter of an inch. uh... My finger bumped it again. I'm sorry. I did it again. If that knee turns a quarter of an inch another way, if some other, you know what I mean? Like we would have found out exactly what these other teams are dealing with. I was having a conversation with my brother. My brother is an Illinois fan. We grew up in central Illinois together. And I asked, did you watch all nine overtimes of that? And he said, oh yeah. And I said, so we started having this conversation. I'm like, who's the second best quarterback in the big 10 right now? And is it common court? Um, I got to watch. And we've only seen glimpses of Talia yeah. Tagovailoa. We've only seen glimpses. I haven't really watched much of, like, studied this Michigan State quarterback who's actually second in the conference in quarterback efficiency, but, like, 30 points behind C.J. Stroud, you know, back with the pack. Right. And who, who didn't do much against Indiana. No. That the Indiana defense that C.J. Stroud did whatever he wanted to against. Right. Ohio State's defense makes a lot of quarterbacks look bad. Of all the things that I have learned low these 17 years, it is all these like sort of like, oh, no, I think that guy – and I've said that before. It's like I thought Kirk Cousins was going to be terrible, and he's making a $100 million in the NFL, but it's because I watched him against the Ohio State defense. It's like, well, he wasn't very good against them. You know, so like I, it, that is happening for sure. And if C.J. Stroud had to play – well – the Ohio State defense isn't that good this year. I actually think CJ would, would dice up this Ohio State defense. Yeah. So it might be Cade McNamara. I, I probably, just because Cade McNamara has been around a little bit more, I'd probably take Cade McNamara over Kyle McCord right now. I'm not saying he's, he's not better long term, but like if you needed, if CJ Stroud couldn't play this week, if CJ Stroud couldn't play in the playoff semifinal, and this would be a good idea. What if you could just like you take like uh, it's like hey, when you get to the playoffs in my final, you can take five other players from your conference with you and add them to your team. So okay, CJ CJ Stroud gets abducted by aliens five days before Ohio State's playing Bama in the semifinal. Would you play Kyle McCord, or if you could take any other quarterback in the Big Ten, get him up to speed, right? Who would you take? Would you would you take Cade McNamara and be like, just get the ball out of, your, out of your hands, man, and get it to these receivers? I promise you, they'll do the rest. I don't know. Maybe you would take McCord. I, I, I'm trying to think, think like who else that can. I wouldn't take Adrian Martinez. I wouldn't take Spencer Petras. I wouldn't take Peyton Thorne. I wouldn't take Michael Penix. I wouldn't take Talia Tonga-Bailoa the way it, he looked against Ohio State. I don't know. Maybe it would be McCord. I mean, 
I think Ohio State would definitely just take McCord partially for, you know, knowing the offense, all those things. I, the way I was going to – I was going to ask the, op, the mirror image of that same question. Like, if you gave every Big Ten team the opportunity to have a, a week off and you get to take Kyle McCord and replace your starting quarterback with him for the next game, and you get – so you get a week and then a, a week to get him his feet under him and then a week to prep for that game, who wouldn't do that trade right now? Do you think that's where we're headed toward in college football, like the week-by-week transfer portal? (laughs) I don't know how the eligibility works on that. I don't know if you can start a season for one team and finish for another. Yeah. I don't know. We should look into it. So um, they they might – I don't know. Like, Kyle McCord looked – you know, Kyle McCord was a little nervous against Akron, and we know that, right? Um, But guy's got a package of skills, so – I mean, his skill, right? He's right there with J.J. McCarthy. Like, they're, they're basically the same recruit, right? And Ohio State picked Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy, yeah. but they're both five-star freshman quarterbacks. So, I don't know. Like, I, maybe I would take Cade McNamara again because, like, well, for now, at least, Cade McNamara is keeping J.J. McCarthy on the sideline, right, just for experience and do the right thing and make the right play. Um, but we also think maybe J.J. McCarthy will play against Ohio State in a couple of weeks. So we'll see. But I think – but, I again, last time I said that Ohio State had, like, the three best quarterbacks in the Big Ten, the Iowa offensive coordinator got mad at me. So I need to be careful. I, I, um, I was thinking, like, thinking ahead to trying to vote for all Big Ten this year and, like, who is the second team all Big Ten quarterback? And is that the answer to that question might just be the most damning thing said about the Big Ten this year? If they leave it blank? Well, yeah. I mean, no. you know, you've got to pick somebody. So it's going to be like Adrian Martinez. It's going to be somebody like that. I think he's second in the conference in uh, yards per attempt passing. His numbers actually aren't that terrible, but he's we we've seen what it is. You know what I mean? Is it? Is it the Purdue walk-on? Possibly. Is it? Is it definitely not him? Or like Aiden O'Connell looked pretty good against Iowa, but it's well, David Bell looked pretty good against Iowa. Oh, I mean, <laughs> somebody's got to throw him the ball, I assume. No, it's like, it's got to be somebody. Um, like you know, the um, Michigan State's Peyton Thorne is second in rating, and Adrian Martinez is third. And Tagovailoa is fourth. Those are the only guys over 150. But like I said, there's a, there's a 30 point gap between Stroud and Thorne. So, you, you know, I'll be. I, I did think like healthy Sean Clifford was actually playing pretty decently for Penn State. I I know like some Ohio State fans were sort of like when when the news was coming out that he was going to play against Illinois, and people were like, yeah, well, he's this, he's that, and it's like actually I, I thought he had made some plays and and been pretty competent and you know had not been absolutely killing them with picks like he had sometimes done in the past right um I don't know the Indiana game he he threw three touchdowns against one interception the Auburn game he threw for 280 he was 28 of 32 for 280 yards two touchdowns and a pick against Auburn against Wisconsin in the opener he threw for 247 one touchdown no picks and he's a little bit of a run threat you know, he ran for 66 against Ball State, ran for 58 yards against Indiana. Like, he threw a couple – and, again, like, the Iowa game, he had a couple balls where he got hit as he was throwing and he threw two picks, right? Like, I actually yeah. think it would be Sean Clifford that that – but he's not – right now, Sean Clifford is not Sean Clifford. And so, if Sean Clifford's not Sean Clifford, then I don't know who's third. 
Yeah, it's. It, I think in the way that things are going for Penn State, might actually win Sean Clifford some votes right now. That it emphasizes how much better he was, but or in how much he meant to that team before he got hurt. Walked the line. Ohio State opens a 15-point favorite, and it went to 17 and a half so fast that I missed that 15 had been the original line and had to retext our our folks. It was two years ago. I think it was a 20-point line. So this isn't that uncommon for this rivalry, but. Penn State still tends to play Ohio State tight. And there's a part of me that's starting to think that if that line gets up any higher, I'm, I might get a little little bit intrigued. But just with, with Clifford this banged up, I just don't know how Penn State can possibly score enough. And with losing P.J. Mustafer and not yep. being able to stop the run and getting run over by, by Illinois, if for some reason Ohio State would come out and feel like, oh, hey – this Penn State secondary is quite good, and we're having a hard time throwing it. I just I think Trevin Henderson might run for two two hundred, and and if they can't stop the run, which they couldn't do against Illinois, then I think Ohio State might just march up and down the field. And then again, are we talking about like dropping a fifty bomb? Maybe not, but if Sean Clifford is not himself, either doesn't play at all, or looks like he did against Illinois. I mean, it still feels like we're very much in range of like a 35-13 kind of thing, right? So um, the Ohio State offense has gotten to the point where they have so many options that if your defense isn't fantastic against both the pass and the run, it feels like you might have a hard time trying to keep Ohio State from covering. Fast forward to Stephen Means predicting Trevon Henderson 300 rushing yards in the first half against Penn State. On 60 point first half <laughs> and us mocking him. And then Stephen Means like owning my house by the end of the next postgame podcast. Stephen, if you're, if you're correct on your outrageous predictions, you can take over my life and be the father to my children. And, and I'll go be a homeless hobo on the street. And there goes my life because – uh, it's it's hard to bet against the Ohio State offense sort of doing anything at the moment. Yeah. But again, I would love we did Indiana didn't have their corners. This will be a t- an actual somewhat of a test, at least for the Ohio State receivers, that yes. they have a couple corners that have a chance to try to come. Fear factor: If Sean Clifford were healthy and playing the way he was early this year, I think this would be like a six point five, might maybe higher. I think Penn State could have. At its best this year, the best version of Penn State we saw this year. And, well, maybe and maybe especially combined with the early season version of Ohio State would have been an interesting matchup. This has been the season opener. Who knows what would happen? But right now, I think it's like a four. Yeah, it's hard. I, mean, if. I, I thought Noah Kane would kind of be better, but he was 11 for 43 when, the, when Kayvon Lee went out has seven for 24, like they can't run it and they can't stop the run now. So like, that's a hard combination, man. So, um, yeah. Like if Clifford was like being the best version of Sean Clifford, I would be like, Hey, let's, let's not underestimate Penn state. We still don't know for sure. A hundred percent what this Ohio state defense is like. And let's remember what Jahan Dotson did to Ohio state last year. So let's just, let's be cool. But if you can't play, like they can't score. So I think the fear factor is like a, like a two and a half. Cause how could he go from 
he can really he can't actually function against Illinois, and now he's going to be that much better against Ohio State that he's going to be close to 100%. It's just hard to imagine. Yeah, with Penn State, as much as they're struggling, at the end of the day, from just a talent perspective, they are more equated with Ohio State than any team since Oregon. Like just on a position-by-position basis. You know, Indiana is a perfect example of a team that has a handful of guys sprinkled around that are legit who are trying to lift up the rest of that group. And then when a couple of those guys are missing, then all bets are off. And uh, all bets should have been off uh, unless you were, I guess, betting the, the uh, taking, uh, giving the points for the Ohio State. So, um, but Penn State at least can like go toe to toe and probably bang around a little bit more, but uh, it's unfortunate. I was looking forward to like, I don't know, maybe the fear factor is like, I think Ohio State fans should kind of welcome a fear factor at this point. Like maybe you need like bring somebody in that scares your team and see how they respond. And part of it is, too, it, the idea that, you know, Joe Moorhead, former Penn State offensive coordinator, now the Oregon mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, was actually the guy to be scared of for the Ohio State-Oregon yes. game. That was the number one guy on your fear factor list. And Mike Yersich, former Ohio State mm-hmm. quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator, who is now the Penn State offensive coordinator, that they couldn't come up with a better plan to try to beat Illinois, even with an injured quarterback, right? It's like you couldn't figure – they had one touchdown drive and then a field goal drive. Like that was – like you couldn't figure out something better than that? You didn't have like a little – you didn't have some secret plan to get Jahan Dotson 15 touches? Like I, just, I can't – like that, that does not inspire confidence in me. I know Sean Clifford is hurt. I know they've got some other things going on. But in – in, in the overtime, in the entirety of it, like for, forget only scoring 10 points in regulation. You get two drives that start at the 25, both of those end in field goals. And then you get five more shots, six more, sh- seven shots. You get seven shots from the three-yard line, and you score on one of them. Yeah, that's not great. And I know they what they ran a trick play where they had tried to have a tight end like throw to Clifford. Uh, that was like one of the big. It's like our quarterback's so injured he can't play quarterback. Let's throw to him. Yeah. It's like you you've got to get Jahan Dotson in a matchup to let him win win that game for you. That guy's one of the best skilled players in the country. So I don't, you know, I, Joe Moorhead's really good, and I think Mike Yersich up until this point has done a pretty decent job at Penn State this year. It seemed. They had had unlocked something a little bit more in Sean Clifford than he had shown the previous couple of years. But that, even with an injured quarterback, that is not an offense that seems scary. One more break. We'll be back with Monday Madness on Buckeye Talk. Ballot boxing, where Doug gets to tell me how bad my AP poll is, if he so chooses. Same basic teams at the top. Georgia, number one. Cincinnati, number two, I flipped Alabama and Oklahoma, and so did the consensus of the rest of the voters. I had Alabama three, Oklahoma four, and then Oregon still ahead of Ohio State. So a lot of a lot of irate Ohio State fans that I have them sixth, where the consensus of the country has them fifth. I, at this point, right, we've, ta- we've talked about the Oregon-Ohio State thing. I almost think even Michigan – might have a case. Yes. I'm not sure what the case is for Oklahoma, though it is undefeated, to be ahead of Ohio State. Because Oklahoma looks like crap every week. 
I could hear that, and I, I struggled with where to put them. I really did. But then it's one of those things where it's like, then it becomes, okay, well, then that means Oregon would have to be fourth. And I don't know if I feel like that is deserving. But, but how much, how different is fourth and fifth? Your, your point is, is, is a fair one. So I, that was the team. I, I did bump them down one spot. The only thing that's really propping Oklahoma up right now, other than the fact that they are undefeated, is the win, a neutral site win against Texas. Who isn't ranked, right. who I did rank. Right. I have them 25th. Um, and who, you know, the computer numbers still like them, but they're not winning games. I mean, they, you know, so. Um, and they almost lost. I mean, like, and right. that win again. Right. Right. We had a big discussion on the college football playoff show. It was like, was that a good win for Oklahoma or a bad win for Oklahoma? It's like, hey, you beat your rival Texas that you were down three scores to, but you did it by benching your Heisman favorite quarterback and putting in a freshman and pulling it out of nowhere. So is that a great, tremendous rally? Or, oh, my God, what's wrong with you that it took all that to beat a Texas team that you should be two touchdowns better than? Yeah, there's almost no such thing as a good or bad win this year, the way some of these teams are playing. Like, it's just you're, you're 7-0 and and you live to fight another day. Um, so, yeah, it's been – it's been I've been kind of it's, – it's, it's been sort of just stuck in this rotation now, and it's going to be when does somebody knock off Oklahoma – when does somebody else knock off Oregon and shake things up a little bit? But they're already, again, in the regular poll, Ohio State's already ahead of Oregon. Yeah. I think if Ohio State beats Penn State, I don't know. Like, the Penn State's losing some luster. But I think, there, I, I think there's not a ton of reasons. And, I, and the wet, like, that Bama was, did not just roll Tennessee all night, right? That Tennessee hung around for a while. And, again – it's the dominance matters when you're parsing between, well, yes. is Tennessee slightly better than Indiana? It's like, I guess probably, but also like Ohio state could have beaten Indiana by 70 and Alabama was, was having a little bit, having to work a little bit, a bit to beat Tennessee. And even like Texas is like, all right, well, Texas, well, they lost to Arkansas. They lost to Oklahoma state. Like they should have beaten Oklahoma but they couldn't beat Oklahoma state. And then Oklahoma state just lost to Iowa state and Iowa state lost to Iowa. And I like, there's, uh, yeah. there's a lot of teams that are, are not being dominant against mediocre teams. I think it, I think it probably is fair to say that some of the teams that Oklahoma and Alabama are having a little trouble with are better than the teams that Ohio state is steamrolling, but yet Ohio state is steamrolling them. Yeah. And but, at but, some point the steamrolling might take over. But the, the Tennessee team that Alabama played last night, I didn't watch that game, but they have to be light years better than the Indiana team that was on the field after Jack Tuttle left the game. You know what I mean? And that's what makes those comparisons really, really, really hard because Indiana was just so bless their hearts inept at that point. Like they, they just, there was nothing they could do. So that's what makes it difficult to start jumping people around too much in my head. And I think I've explained why I set things out there like that. And again, it's like, I feel like right now it's the way I, I wrote my post today was like, look, Georgia's off by itself. And I got a log jam and it really runs from Cincinnati through Michigan in my head. I wouldn't put Michigan state up into that conversation. So then how do you, how do you line those teams up? And I think there's a legitimate reason to, I would, if somebody wants to put Oklahoma state number two right now, that's fine. I think that actually, I don't know. There's people that are voting Oklahoma number two right now, which I don't know. That seems bad. That seems bad. I mean, you have to take the opponents into account. Um, 
at some point. And again, Oregon remains interesting because like Joe Moorhead's back and like they were trailing UCLA, but then kind of got it together and then and beat UCLA. And actually, and UCLA actually is a pretty, I think they were, what are they? They're, They've been, they bounced around two, the bottom of the rankings. They're all right. Um, so that was again, a decent win. Better than any team Ohio State's beaten. They just are. And, the one team I'll keep and, an eye on actually in that conversation is Minnesota's kind of turning a corner towards being not terrible. And I'm really it, – it, they're only – like they've got one loss in the Big Ten. Their other loss was to Bowling Green. So right. if they were to beat Iowa head-to-head, that could there could be a rematch with Minnesota oh, at yeah. Lucas Oil Stadium. And if they For had real, Ibrahim – I'm not going. I'm not going. If, but if they had Ibrahim, I think that would be interesting because there's no way that they could possibly let Ohio State continually be that wide open a second time, except they probably would. Except that C.J. Stroud, like, knows how to play quarterback now. <laughs> Except they're better, and they'd be on turf. Or I guess they were probably on turf up there. But different, like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's um, you're, yeah, whatever. I'm not going. Um, the national championship game is in Indianapolis. Like, everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows. We talked about it when we had the preseason stuff in Indianapolis. So it's like Ohio State was in Indiana for Big Ten Media Days. They were in Indiana Saturday night in Bloomington. If they make the Big Ten championship game, they'll be in Indianapolis, and then they'll be in Indianapolis for the national title game if they make it that far. So this has been quite a thing. So I'm just – I'm not going to go if it's Minnesota. I'll cover from my house. I'm sick. I hate – I hate 70. I, it's, just, it's, it's like Indianapolis is like – when you cover Ohio State, it's like Indianapolis is like a – it's practically just like a western suburb of Columbus. We basically and, have an indie bureau. Yeah. So – I, no, and I like I like Indianapolis. It's like thank goodness that Indianapolis is a pleasant city to go to, or I would really not want to go because you're there all the time. I don't want to be there in December and again in January. So if I think they're going to be there in January, and Minnesota is the team, I'm not going. Boycott it. <laughs> Let's have like <laughs> Lucas Oil Stadium will be like be like 800 people there. Be like for real, the West boycott the West. If Minnesota, Minnesota, are you kidding me? Counterpoint to this <laughs> thought that the I counterpoint to this thought that I floated is that maybe we shouldn't start thinking of the Minnesota team that scored ten points at home against Bowling Green as being somebody who can score enough points to beat Iowa. I don't know. Did you watch Iowa against Purdue? They might, be, they might be able to score enough. Well, the, the points Purdue, to beat Iowa. The Purdue Indiana game that closes the year might be zero zero. That might be zero zero after nine overtimes. Well, at that point, Purdue should just should just snap the ball to David Bell every play and just beg him to do something. <laughs> just wildcat it, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, so Minnesota is really five and two with their losses. So, who they beat? They beat they've beaten Miami of Ohio, Colorado, Purdue, Nebraska, and Maryland. And their next two games are against Northwestern and Illinois before they go to Iowa. God, the West stinks. What should they do? Are we are we reinforcing that they've got to shift the divisions? Like, or the, I know James Franklin. We actually should do a podcast on this this week. No, that's Penn State week. Although Penn State might not be good. I know James Franklin was banging the drum a couple weeks ago. I I don't know that he said it specifically, but it was kind of leaning or intimating that they should do away with divisions. And you have to protect some rivalries. 
And if the problem is, it's hard because if like if you if you do so, Ohio State, Michigan have to play every year. Indiana and Purdue have to play every year. You know, Illinois, Northwestern have to play every year. We get it. We know those rivalries that need to be protected. Wisconsin, Minnesota. But if you if you do away with divisions, then like Ohio State's going to have some years where they don't play Penn State, and Ohio right. State's going to have some years where they don't play Michigan State, and it's going to be like. Ohio State's going to get more Minnesota and Northwestern and Illinois and Purdue and less Michigan State, Penn State, Indiana. And is that trade-off worth it just to get to a point where your, your championship game is now the two best teams in the conference with the two best records – like they do it in the Big 12, but the Big 12 plays a full round robin. So like that eliminates, you're not losing anything because like, you only have 10 teams. Yeah. So everybody plays nine, you play everybody, the two best records play in the championship game. That actually works pretty well. With 14, especially in a world where they're going to get back to eight at some point. So you're just playing eight of the 13 other teams. You'll have one protected rivalry, which means you're playing seven of the other 12 like on a rotating basis, and that Ohio State would play Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska as much as they would play Michigan State and Penn State. I don't know if that's worth it because I like Ohio State and Penn State playing every year, but James Franklin is saying, why do I have to play Ohio State every year when I'm the second best team in the Big Ten? And are we serious? We're trying to figure out whether Iowa or Minnesota or Purdue, and I know Iowa beat Penn State, but it's because they're quarterback got knocked out like that's where we are and then you get back to the original thing when ohio state and michigan were in separate divisions in legends and leaders you set up the possibility of ohio state michigan on back-to-back weekends and do you end up lessening both games by setting up the potential of ohio state michigan playing twice all in the name of the west sucks how much do you change everything because the West sucks? Or do you just – because if you create non-geographical divisions, you keep Ohio State and Michigan on the same side so you don't set up a repeat possibility. But then you've got to put Penn State in the opposite division. So now, once again, Ohio State and Penn State aren't playing as much, which Penn State I think would be happy about. But from Ohio State perspective, are you happy or not? Okay, that's a podcast this week. Maybe this is the big Thursday pod. I, I like. I don't want to go too far down this, but like, is is there is there an interesting discussion? And does it feel broken in a world where I am going to have to boycott the Big Ten championship game if it's Ohio State Minnesota? Is it broken? Uh, number one, I think you may be overstating the impact that your boycott would are you have the reverberations of that throughout the Big Ten? How dare you, sir? People will still. It'll be just a little bit easier to get a table at Chili's in Indy that week. Um, the uh, what I will say is uh, it is worth discussion, and I think we've talked many times in many different avenues about when does Ohio State throw its weight around and when it does not. Because the crux of your conversation, what you're bringing up here, is this is one of those times where what's good for Ohio State and what's good for the conference completely diverge. I think. Because it might be better for the equitable distribution of 
talent and whatever you want to say throughout the conference to, to not have these divisions or at least not have them the way they're constructed now. But if you're, if you become Ohio state, imagine like if you're Ohio state with, if you become like the Clemson of the North schedule wise, that seems like it's a tier down from what you want to be. So Ohio State wants – so the East is better. The Ohio East State is going wants to continue the to be better, and Ohio State wants to be in the better division. I mean, imagine this – imagine a season like this, what's playing out, or really any of the last three, where you take Penn State and Michigan off. Well, you wouldn't take Michigan off. You take Penn State and whoever the next best team in the East Michigan is State. off. Michigan State. Take them both off of a schedule and add a, the years when Northwestern is terrible – Right. And Purdue in their place. Or right. Illinois. Or Illinois. Or Illinois. And No, I, I know. And and now, that 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 isn't better for Ohio State in any way. Now the one thing is right, when they were in the division with Wisconsin, it encouraged a little Wisconsin Ohio State rivalry, which was cool. And like a rivalry does not have to be a geographic. A rivalry really is basically about two equal equal level programs that play each other frequently. Ohio State Clemson. Every year is better, but it doesn't have to be every year. Frequently enough that there's not time. Okay, now we're now we're now we're just doing a Thursday podcast. All right, let's put a pin in this and let's I will prepare a gigantic text or survey. Is the Big Ten broken? If you're gonna fix it, how would you fix it? And do you want Ohio State in the difficult division or not? And long-term, what's the best thing for this conference to do? Because I do know James Franklin was pushing this. But let's save this for later in the week. We call that a tease in the business, folks. Hmm. Who's number two? Ohio State clearly the number one team in the Big Ten now. And I think it's Michigan. Yeah, I need to watch more Michigan. I, I have not watched a ton of Michigan lately. But they're still just, like, running the ball down people's throats, right? So, like, I don't – like, it can't be – what if, if – if, if Sean Clifford is not being Sean Clifford, like it's gotta be, obviously it's gotta be Michigan. Now, unless it's Michigan state, but again, I lost. What the fact that Michigan state had trouble with that Indiana defense that Ohio state sliced apart affected my view of Michigan state. Not that I thought Michigan was state was great anyway, but um, obviously this Michigan Michigan State game this week is humongous. Like it's it's it could not be bigger. It's one of the biggest games in the history of the Michigan Michigan State rivalry for both of them to be undefeated and in the top ten. So, but I would say Michigan. Do you have Michigan leads the Big Ten in rushing at two hundred and fifty three uh, yards per game? Do you have any doubt that it's Michigan in your mind? Not after what we saw from Penn State the other day, and I know that that's not completely fair because, again, it's a compromised Sean Clifford, but we don't know how long he's going to be compromised. So I think it's hard for me to vote Penn State there anymore. I think you'd have to vote Michigan as the team that's – and I just feel like their performance has been a a tick above what Michigan State's doing. It's I I saw that this is the first time these two teams have ever met seven to no records or better. I think it was Kevin Paga, who's a, a basketball guy by trade, but um, is involved with Michigan State, and he put that out there. And I also went back and looked. I think this is a big game. Clearly, it's a, it's a big game for the Harbaugh legacy because they are under Harbaugh. Michigan is 2-0 and against 
teams ranked 21 through 25 playing a conference road game. So playing another Big Ten team on the road who's ranked 21st through 25, they're 2 and 0, ranked higher than 20th, which actually it's it's actually 13th or higher. They've only played teams ranked 13th or higher on the road. 0 and 7. But now, whatever. It's, so three of those whatever Ohio State. So six of them, two each Ohio State, Wisconsin and Penn State. Okay. But that's kind of the point is that there's a reason why nobody, why everyone talks about you as being a tier below Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State in this conference. It's because you don't go on the road and beat them. So I think this is, and again, this, so this won't completely desi- decide that because if, if Michigan goes out and wins like 41 to 16 or something like that, people are going to say like, oh, Michigan State probably wasn't quite as good as that ranking reflected. I have a suspicion that that might be the case. I don't know if it'll be quite that bad, but. I think the latest I spread I saw was like three and a half that Michigan's giving points in this game. I think I like that. Yeah, I mean, the the there is a point. We have a lot of, this will be a good Thursday because we have to talk about Michigan, Michigan State as well. Maybe we can do that on Thursday so we don't save it too much for the Friday pod. At some point, Michigan has to get the attention of Ohio State. And if it's like, hey, they are running over everyone. And are you sure Ohio State's run defense is good enough to stop a team that really knows how to run the ball? I don't know. So that, you know, they're not going to scare you in the pass game, but are you definitely, definitely believe in this front seven? I think we, we enter a conversation there where if Michigan does it this week, they might have people's attention and we can ask our texters that would that, what would you, what would it take for you to really start to regard Michigan as a team that has a real chance to beat Ohio state this year? Cause I will tell you, right. I mean, just the stuff, all the playoff, I'm a little out on like all the playoff percentages. There's this percentage. It's like, listen, man, we all get it. We can all figure it out. Well, Alabama, according to the ESPN FPI predictor as a 61, per- I get it. I know what Alabama's path to the playoff is. So whatever the algorithm says, Little Dougie is as good as that algorithm. It is not complex. So, like, right now, it's like Michigan is, like, slightly ahead of Ohio State, I think, like, in the ESPN FPI. It's like 45% to 42%. And it's like, yeah, because guess what? The one-loss Big Ten champ is, like, definitely in. So who do you think it would be? Do you think it would be Michigan or do you think it would be Ohio State? Just who do you think is going to win that game? Like, right now, does your algorithm actually think that Michigan's going to beat Ohio State? Like, does your, is your algorithm aware of that Ohio State's third best receiver is Jackson Smith and the Jigba? Right? Like, that's – so the algorithms are saying one thing, but I don't know where humans – again, I'm pro-human. I don't know where humans are in the Michigan-Ohio State evaluation. And in this regard, like, what Ohio State fans think isn't actually the main thing, right? Because Ohio State fans are going to have no respect for Michigan – until Michigan earns it on the field. So I get that. I'm not saying that's wrong. But it almost wants me, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have a national person on who's, who, who has viewed, who has watched both those teams and get a view of what does Michigan have to do to make you think they really have a chance to win against Ohio State. But first they have to beat Michigan State, and they might not do that. Look for Little Dougie's first boycott from Triumph Books later this uh, winter, right, right in time for Christmas. If you want to be one of the texters who gets that big uh, survey he's threatening, 614-350-3315. No, you can't ask people to pay for a thing that you just called a threat. 
<laughs> oh my, it does again, get your, get ready for homework. Tell your family you're going to have homework. Uh, like on Wednesday, you might have to sit down and do a survey for an hour. Threatening. It's fun for the whole family. 614-350-3315. Thanks to all of you who have already signed up and we love interacting with you all week, even when you're telling me I'm an idiot because of my people. Uh, and we love talking to you all week and we'll be back with you uh, updates, especially Tuesday noonish when we talk to Ryan Day again. Probably some players or maybe some players, probably some assistant coaches getting ready for this Penn State game. And we will be back with you on the pod. Wednesday morning, talking about what we heard there and, and getting ready for this week. For Doug Lee Maurice, I'm Nathan Baird. That was Buckeye Talk.